1: Remember what you said you return that I might live In my Father's
2: house You know, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, in verse 12, we're reminded of that tremendous price that Jesus paid to redeem us from our sins. And in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 12, we are told there concerning our redemption that we redeemed not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own precious blood and therefore he entered into the most holy place once and for all having obtained our eternal redemption
0: in today's message pastor mike will encourage you to truly give thought to what jesus went through as he was crucified for our sins Even before he was subjected to the cruelest form of execution known at that time, he was mocked and beaten, spit on even. And he did this all willingly. No one forced him. No one coerced him. He did it because of the immense love that he had and has for you. All of his suffering was done for love and reunification so that one day we might see him face to face. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, as he begins his message, The Redeemed of God.
2: 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 24 and 25, who himself, and in context is referring to Jesus, here Peter is, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree or on the cross at Calvary, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. Okay, so obviously the subject of our text is God's redemption, God's work of redemption in the life of his people. And this is a significant central doctrine of Christian uh, truth. And I love this because it is presented by Peter here in this section clearly and concisely in three different aspects. And what are those three different aspects? Well, it's price, it's purpose, and it's provision. Okay, so with that said, let's take them in that order. And then, therefore, these become our three points this evening. So the first point is it's price. Let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That was the price that was paid. Jesus dying upon the cross. So notice, our redemption was paid for by Jesus' death. And listen, no other payment could satisfy the wrath of a holy and righteous God against sin. And and what love, what mercy, think about it, that God sent His only Son to die for sinful rebels. Well, that's who we were at one time. I hope that's not true of us today. Sinful rebels, right, right? Jesus came into the world to die for sinful rebels like you and me. Let me give you a cross reference. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, there we are told by John, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So, foreseeing our sinfulness, our unworthiness, our rebellion, Nevertheless, Jesus, because of his love, his mercy, and his grace, willingly forsook the splendors of heaven and came to earth's shame to die that terrible death on the cross. You know, Paul addresses the same subject in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, in verses 7 and 8, when he says there, But Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He went from the highest, most exalted, most splendid place in the universe, there in heaven, worshipped as God, the second person of the triune God, to the lowest point and place upon the earth, being born there in that stable lying there in the manger. He went from the highest to the lowest point so that he might redeem you and me from our sin. That tremendous price that he uh, paid. You know, there's a story, and I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, it's an old story uh, concerning the Prince of Wales, and the story took place during World War One. The prince was invited to visit 36 men who were severely wounded during a certain campaign. They were in a hospital on the outskirts of the city of London. Well, anyway, the prince graciously accepted the invitation, and upon arrival was shown the main ward. He shook hands with some, spoke encouraging words to many, and sympathized with all. But then looking around, he said, after counting, I thought there were 36, but I only see 30. Well, it was explained that six of the worst cases were in a special ward that was not usually visited. But the prince insisted on seeing them. And so he was ushered into, guided to where these soldiers were. They were bruised, they were maimed, they were physical wrecks. And so after meeting with those in that particular section of the hospital, once again counting, he concluded that there were only five. And so therefore he said, where was the other man? Well, he was told that the sixth man was so badly mutilated that he was kept in a room alone and that it would be wiser not to see him at all. But once again, the prince insisted. And so taken into the room where this uh, soldier lied, he saw an unforgettable sight. There lay what remained of a brave soldier. That soldier was blind. He was deaf. He was legless. He was armless. He was defigured beyond recognition. And so the prince, standing silent for a moment, immeasurably touched, the prince stooped down. He kissed the veteran's scarred brow, and with a break in his voice, declared, you were wounded for me. This victim of the horrors of war died for his country in the cause of freedom. Now Jesus, in a more even magnified way, died for the entire world for the purpose of redemption. And if you know him as your Lord and Savior, you too can declare, wounded for me. You know, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, in verse 12, we're reminded of that tremendous price that Jesus paid to redeem us from our sins. And in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 12, we are told there, concerning our redemption, that we redeemed not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own precious blood. And therefore he entered into the most holy place, once and for all, having obtained our eternal redemption. And so the tremendous price that Jesus paid that we might be redeemed from our sin. Now, let's go on. Let's go on to our second point this evening. Let's talk about the purpose of redemption. So that becomes our second point. If you're taking notes, write that down the purpose of redemption. Okay, why did God even consider paying such a tremendous price for our redemption? And what was the purpose behind it? Well, let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 24, there we are told that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. Now, what are we talking about here? And what does this word righteousness suggest to us? Well, it's more than just simply refraining from evil, although it certainly includes that, but it is to become a participator in divine acts of well-doing, which flow from the Christ nature that is within us, that is, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, that conscious daily choice to follow Christ and to do His will. You know, Paul put it this way, addressing this subject in the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, and verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. You see, we are no longer to live for self, but rather to live for Jesus. We are to put away the old man, the old habits, our old lusts, in order to carry out God's will in doing all that is good. And listen, this is not a burden, it's a joy. We owe him a delightful debt that we can never repay, right? But it springs from our gratitude, our appreciation, our understanding of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if we've truly been to Calvary's cross, we'll be impassioned to do the work of sharing the gospel. So that begs the question, are we living unto righteousness? Listen, the world needs Jesus. And therefore, there should be nothing more important to a believer, you and me, than getting the good news to those who need salvation, and yet those who have never heard of it. So that's the purpose of redemption. Now that brings us to our third and final aspect as we address this subject And that is, let's talk about the provision of redemption. So that's our third point, the provision of redemption. Now, as the result of the sacrificial work of Jesus at Calvary, God has provided salvation, restoration, and preservation. Notice there in verse 24, let's go back there in verse 24, the latter part of it, and there we are told by whose stripes, you were healed by that broken body of Jesus Christ. Provision has been made for the healing, not only of our bodies, but also of our spirits, our souls, you see. That is for those who have received them. There's provision for healing in every aspect of men. In the book of Isaiah, uh, we're told exactly this. In chapter 53, in verses 4 and 5, one of the more familiar texts of Scripture, a messianic uh, text concerning Jesus, a prophecy. In Isaiah 53, in verses 4 and 5, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, notice also, let's go back to our text. Peter goes on to declare, in the first part of verse 25 of our text this evening, notice, let's read that uh, once again, for you are like sheep who were going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd. That is the shepherd of our souls. And so that's the way that Jesus is presented to us here in this text. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. So, we, being sinful by nature, we wandered away from God. Uh, That's the picture that's being painted here for us, like distracted sheep. We were without love and concern for God, but nevertheless, by His grace, He sought us out, and by his love, we didn't do anything that would warrant it, uh, that would warrant him seeking us out. But nevertheless, simply by his grace and love, he sought us out. He drew us unto himself. He redeemed us and placed us into his family as one of his children. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, and verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that word quickened in the Greek can literally be translated, made alive, so you he has made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sin. In other words, in that state, we didn't even have an aptitude for God. We were unconcerned concerned about the things of God, spiritual things. But nevertheless, God sought us out, and he's made us alive. But notice here, according to our text, there's more... Uh, than that. Not only is Jesus the shepherd, but he is also the overseer or the bishop of our souls as well. Okay, so as the shepherd, he tenderly cares for his sheep, feeding uh, and nurturing us throughout life. But now here, notice the reference to his being the overseer or the bishop of our souls. It means protector or guardian. So as the bishop or overseer of our souls, he protects us from the onslaughts of the enemy. And he keeps us and guides us step by step in his perfect will. And so anyway, the true believer may rest in the protection of the Lord's love and care, knowing his love will never fail us. That complete work of God's redemption. Now we move into chapter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, in other words, if you're married to an unbeliever, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear or respect, that word chaste can also be translated purity, so by your purity and your respect towards your uh, husband. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. We have been considering, with Peter's help, the Christian's responsibility in relationship The government and state, that is our citizenship. But then also, we've been talking about the believer's responsibility at the workplace, that is coming alongside and helping our employers to reach their objectives. And so, over the last couple of weeks, we've been receiving a good dose of real, practical Christianity. Now, the next portrait that Peter paints is that of the Christian in their home and their God-given obligations. And notice he first, Peter that is, zeroes in on women here, specifically married women. But listen, there's more to this message than that than just addressing married women who are uh, married to unbelievers. Because in this discourse, we also discover the marvelous principles that enable us to win others for uh, Christ. But nevertheless, Peter here is addressing married women who have recently given their lives to Christ, but who were greatly disturbed as to what they were to do about their unbelieving husbands who had become bitter and cruel because of their new found faith in Jesus Christ. So, the question, what should a Christian wife do if her husband is antagonistic the Gospel? Should she leave him? Should she go and find a new environment to live in which is more conducive to growth in grace? Well, gang, the answer to those questions are absolutely no. You see, let the believing wife, and this is constantly uh, encouraged throughout the Scriptures, let the believing wife stay where she is and so convincingly live the Gospel that her unbelieving mate, her husband, will ultimately cry out, What must I do to be saved? You see, the woman is God's vantage point to reach the unbelieving husband. The husband, yes, might be an unbeliever of the worst sort. He might be bitter. He might be inconsiderate. But the wife is exhorted to stay with him. And as I mentioned, that becomes God's uh, vantage point uh, to reach him. Let me give you a cross reference for this. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 7 and verse 13, and you might want to read that entire uh, portion of scripture there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7 in context. But there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 13, we are told, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, an unbeliever, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Okay, and obviously there are exceptions uh, to this. That is, if the unbelieving husband becomes abusive uh, to his wife, either verbally or physically, well then, of course, she's not under any obligation to stay in that particular dangerous situation. But nevertheless, women, I am telling you, it is possible for you, by your commitment to Christ and your perseverance, to get a new kind of a husband, transformed by the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. You see, if the Christian is willing to meet the conditions that God presents in the scriptures, God promises that the unsaved husband or loved one, remember I said there's a wider application to this uh, teaching So God promises that the unsaved husband or loved one, whoever that might be, it might be another member of your immediate family, it might be a friend or uh, another uh, uh, relative or someone that you uh, work with at your workplace, they will come to Christ. It may not be until they lie in agony on their deathbed, but nevertheless, God promises that they will come. Now, if the believing wife is to be effective for Jesus, it is very important that she be in subjection to her husband. Now, what does that look like? What are we talking about? The word subjection. Well, let me give you a working basic definition of what I'm referring to. The word subjection or submission means adapting as far as her conscience permits and God's word allows. That is to her husband's desires and demands. Okay? So there are certain limitations, yes. But if wives simply obeyed this truth, divorce courts could be a lot less crowded. Let me give you a cross-reference. In Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. That is, as your husband is submitted to uh, Christ. Listen, gang, thousands of homes have become nothing more than uh, centers of marital confusion and disorder. Why? Because wives have assumed unwarranted authority instead of submitting patiently to their husbands, as they are encouraged to do in the Scriptures. Those husbands whose duty it is under God to oversee the affairs of the family. That isn't a perfect world, right? But that's where we're trying to bring our husbands to, right? to bring them to that place where they're believers, where they will accept that responsibility, that God-given responsibility, that they will oversee all of the affairs of the family, what's best for the family in honoring God. But notice also Peter states there in verse 1, go back to our text, the submission is to be to your own husbands. In my
1: father's house There's a place for me
0: in my Father's house Where I long to be We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can also listen online by going to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on One Place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. You can also watch our fully recorded services on Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. You are welcome to join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, please don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. Where I love to
1: be Oh, my heart Not be troubled